0: Well, we have a new series, and it is called Born, and uh, even as we are here gathered, there are some ladies, some new moms-to-be that are that are at Wake Med and all the other hospitals in the area, and uh, there are babies that are being born right now, and uh, it's interesting to think what some of those babies may be. They're just little tiny babies. They all kind of Just, you know, they they need those moms, and they're totally helpless. But some of them are going to become doctors. Some of them are going to make great impacts uh, in our community. Who knows? The President of the United States could be being born right now, and we wouldn't even know a thing about it. But that's the thing. There's, There's babies that have been born throughout history, but some of those babies God has used to do powerful things, to have an impact not just on the people that they associated with during their time period but that their impact was so powerful that it, it continues on even to impacting you and I today. And so during this series we are going to look at some births from scripture that had an enormous impact on our lives. And of course we are going to culminate in the ultimate birth, that birth that defines our calendar and and, and is you know and, and is the reason for us being here. But before we get there we're going to begin to look with John the Baptist. Now, as we walk through there, a lot of these end up kind of being character studies. And so as we start to look at John the Baptist, we're going to look at his life and start to just see some of the, 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 the lessons that we can learn from it. Now, you may be unfamiliar with who John the Baptist is. And I know that a lot of you know that there's a book, John, a Gospel of John, but it was not written by John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. But he's not found in the Old Testament. He's actually found in the New Testament. He was a contemporary of Jesus, and he was the forerunner for everything that Jesus did in his ministry. But when we start to look at, 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 the, at the story of John the Baptist, we don't start in the New Testament. In fact, we have to go back to the very last book and the last, or I should say the second-to-last prophet of the Old Testament period. And his name was Malachi. And Malachi was this prophet, and he, he preached during you know, a time about 400 years before Christ. And these are the very last words that are found in his Bible, or in, I should say in his, in his writings. And they are a revelation that he's... So this is God speaking here. But it says in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Well, that's kind of an ominous opening. But what we have right here are some important things. First of all, he references this prophet named Elijah. And you got to remember that, that, first of all, there were these prophets, God used prophets through, uh, you know, through the, through the nation of Israel, to speak to them. And so God would reveal himself to these men, and then they would speak the message of God. And so they had been doing this for, for centuries. And one of the greatest prophets was this this prophet named Elijah. And so what he's saying there is that there's coming this day when another prophet will rise up in the same spirit of Elijah, a great prophet. And it says in here that that there's these two components here that that... That he's going to be preparing this way, because he's going to draw in. There's going to be reconciliation. There's going to be this peace, of sal- this time of salvation, or else there's also going to be this judgment that comes down. It's these two pieces. And so here's this is the words from God spoken through Malachi, and then suddenly nothing. And so for 400 years, generations go by. And God does not raise up a prophet, and there's nothing that is speaking. And so that kind of sets the tone for everything else that that we're going to walk through here, this time of quiet. And you can imagine what this is like. You know, a generation goes by, and, you know, these Hebrew boys are growing up, kind of learning about these stories of old, but yet they're not really getting to experience them. And is it really real? Did that stuff really happen? Because God hasn't spoken. And so we pick up our story here in Luke chapter 1. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, or Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was Elizabeth, who was also descendant of Aaron, and both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. All right, so what we have here is this guy named Zacharias. And Zacharias is is a priest. And we got to remember that in the nation of Israel, there was this temple. And at the very center of this temple was this most holy of holies, where the very presence and essence of God resided. And so the entire temple was really the symbolic um, architectural structure of our relationship with God. God was holy. He was pure. He was clean. And man had, had gone against that. And so there was these barriers. And so there's these, all these rooms. And so the priests, they would go before the people for the nation of Israel. They would go before them. And they would have to go through all these rituals to remind them that, that when you go before God, you have, to, you have to prepare yourself. And you have to try to cleanse yourself. And you have to do all these different things. And so Zacharias is part of this tribe. That whole entire purpose was that very thing. Now there were about 18,000 of these priests. And they were divided up into these 20, in 24 different sections. So you had all these families tied in there. And uh, twice a year, for, for two weeks, like a week at one portion of the year, another week, it would be your time, your family's time, to go and serve at the temple. And then every day there was this, this incense offering that was given. And um, this was a very special thing. So if you were a priest, you were always hoping that one day you would get to go into the temple and you would be able to uh, burn this incense. that was kind of like a prayer up before all of the people towards God. And because there were so many, it was, you know, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so the time comes for Zechariah's uh, family to go, and they start to cast lots, and the lot falls to him. I mean here he is, he's this old man now. And it's his chance to go in there and and to and to serve. And so what we we see is we see him getting to walk in, getting to do this thing that he had always dreamed of doing. And he walks into the temple and he knows he's just, just trained to do this. He knows exactly what's gonna happen. He's gonna come out of there afterwards and tell all of his buddies that he finally got to do this. And so our story picks up at Luke 1 as he's walking into the temple. Says Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What an amazing, what an amazing story. I mean, I just, every time I, I read this, I think of, you gotta make a movie like this. I mean, this is just like the opening of a movie. 400 years, nothing. The last words talks about this prophet in the name of Elijah. And then all of a sudden, this angel appears to this man who is expecting, he's not expecting anything, and he hears this message. This is absolutely remarkable. And the part, though, of the story that I always tend to kind of gloss over is that phrase in there that it says that Elizabeth was barren. And if you notice when we were reading that section, it it mentioned, it made it a point to say that, that Zacharias and Elizabeth were very upright and they followed all the commands. There's a reason that they put that in there and why they had to put that right next to Elizabeth was barren. Because it was commonly understood that children were a blessing from God. And that if you had been good and done what was right, then you would have many children. But if you were barren, it's because you had done something to offend God. You had sinned in some way. And so even though people would see Zacharias and Elizabeth and they seemed like they were pious and upright, well, they always knew there was some secret sin lurking behind because she was barren, obviously. God had taken his blessing away from them. You know, when, when I hear that, to be honest, it just the barrenness of Elizabeth does not resonate with me. And I've been talking with this about my wife, because our babies are not really babies anymore, and I was just talking about, you know, like when we were kids, what we dreamed, what we thought our life would be like. And I always wanted to be a dad, but I I never really thought about it. But not so for my wife. I mean, for my wife, when she was a little girl, that's all she thought about. Like she used to play with these dolls and pretend that they were her babies. And then when somebody would come by that had a baby, she would want to go and take that baby and she would want to change that baby's diaper. I don't know why you would want to do that, but she wanted to do that. Like, even a little girl, one hers. She wanted to change that baby, and then she wanted to do all those things with that baby. And she dreamed about the day that she would have a baby of her own so that she could hold that baby and feel that baby and wash that baby and then grease that baby up after the bath and, and do all of those things that these moms, and, you know, swallow them, get them all real tight like that, and hold them, and have them fall asleep, and feed them, and just and wake up even in the middle of the night. She wanted to do those things from the very, you know, start. You know, my little girls want to do those things. My son... He's got a little stuffed animal, but then we start chucking that stuffed animal at one another, you know? There's no sense of nurturing there. And so, you know, when I hear this, I try to imagine what would it be like if my wife had been barren? If this little girl, who all she ever wanted was a little baby to take care of it, looked forward to that day, finally got that point where she had a husband whose only real purpose was to provide her with children. <laughs> and then suddenly, and then su- suddenly, she, she's waiting and, you know, she goes, well, okay, there, there's nothing, but go to the doctor and let's just give it time. And she hits 25. And she hits 30. Still no baby. Still trying. 35. She sees all these other moms having babies. And then she hits 40. 40 is a nasty number for that kind of thing, isn't it? It's still possible, but, but, but come on, if you, if you haven't by 40, and then 45? And then 50? I, I, I mean, I can only imagine the kind of heartache that would have gone through, through her. Maybe there's there's somebody here who has experienced that, and and you read this and you know you don't gloss over that because you know the kind of pain and suffering that Elizabeth was going through being barren, and how hard it is to yearn for something. You know, isn't a midlife crisis kind of about that? You know, you have these dreams for your future and you have stuff that you want, and and oh, I'll still get there and the hope's still there, and then suddenly it's it's this point where where it all feels like it's about ready to crumble down around you, that it's, it's escaping you. The hourglass is shifting through. And it's almost about to pass you by. And you've prayed about this, though. It's not like you did, you know, you've You been trying to do the right things, and you keep saying, God, please, I feel like you have welled up inside of me a desire to have this, this career, or to be able to do these things with my family, or to have this kind of a job, and I just, I know that if I could just step into it, it's just like what you built me for. But yet it does not come. How do you handle that? How do you get through with that? I mean, here we have Elizabeth, and this, this works out fabulously for her at the end, right? And not only does she get this baby, but this is, this is the baby. I mean, this is the, this is the baby that, that starts to launch Everything that, that God is about to do. He's a he's the forerunner for Jesus. He's there to pave the path. Wouldn't it have been nice for God to come down when, when she was about like say 17 and say, Elizabeth, I, I just want you to know that you're gonna be barren, but I will I will remember you and I'm gonna I'm gonna fulfill this thing. How hard would it have been? I mean I, I mean he sent the angel, right? He's the angel popped there in the in the temple for Zacharias, right? How hard would it have been to have that angel just come there? And then at least she would have been able to go through that entire p- time period knowing how the end result was going to turn out. But it didn't turn out like that, did it? No, she had to go through all that pain and all that heartache. See, there's a lesson in this. And the lesson is we must stick it out. That when you're going through a tough time like that, when there is something that, that is just you're yearning for and you're praying for and you're not getting the answer and it just doesn't, it keeps, you know, like, when's it going to happen for me? And you see these other people getting experienced this thing that you wanted, that you were destined for, but yet you're not. The lesson is stick it out. Now, th- there's no guarantee here that that if you just stick it out, whatever it is that you have that desire for, that it's just going to it's going to happen. Not everybody gets the, the Elizabeth experience, but this is the one promise I have for you that you you can find from Scripture is that that there's one or two things that's going to happen, okay? Either one, God is going to come into your life, and he is going to fulfill that thing that you have desired for, all right? Because he is the one that put that little bug in you, and it's eventually going to come to fruition. Or he is going to end up adjusting and changing that, and he's going to redirect you so that your purpose can be fulfilled whatever it is, and maybe in its time. But you can trust that God will be with you through that. And it's a lesson that we learn from John the Baptist and from his parents and from what they experienced. But the hard times don't, don't end there, do they? And really, John the Baptist's life, it's full of all kinds of difficulties and hardships. This baby who was a, a great blessing, he, he, his life was hard, once he, he started to grow up, all of these things that had been prophesied about him began to come true. He truly was a prophet. He was the last prophet, and so, as such, he went out and, and John was something that you know he was a sight to behold because he would wear this these clothes made of camel 's hair they were rough they were they're not comfortable you know, clothing. He had a leather belt, he ate nothing but locusts and honey out in the desert. And, uh, you know, you've always heard of the the thing, you know, a Baptist being kind of fire and brimstone. That was John the Baptist. I mean, he was a sight to behold. I mean, if he's preaching here today, he'd come out and he'd say, look at all of you coming in here like slithering snakes. Who warned you to come into this movie theater and escape all of the destruction that God has coming? You sinners. Don't you even know that right now the ax is at the root of the tree? Repent. Change your ways. Turn around. And that's the kind of preacher that he was. John was the kind of guy who would call a spade a spade. And if you happened to come in to his presence and you were a spade, well, he called you a spade. Now Jesus came with all the grace and all of the mercy. But John was a fiery preacher. And so he had this entire thing when he would baptize people. And it was this picture that, hey, you're not just saved because you're, you're a, a Jew and because you your history and where you were born. You've got to turn things around. You've got to make a choice to submit. And so he had this entire teaching of baptism. And then finally Jesus comes, and Jesus happens to be his cousin. Jesus comes to him, and he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, I want to be baptized. And John, because he had had this revelation from God, knew that Jesus was the one. He says, Jesus, no, there's no way that I'm going to be baptizing in you. Instead, you baptize me. And then Jesus says, no, we've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so he says, all right, but I don't like this, but okay, I'll do it. So he baptizes Jesus, and then Jesus comes out of the water, and John and, and everybody else, they see this, this dove that's coming down out of the sky, and it's really the Holy Spirit. We're not really sure, is it a dove? It looked like, was it some type of fire thing that looked like, but it came down onto Jesus. And then this voice echoes out from all, all the people that are around there. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And John and everybody else, they saw this. And then they part. And then Jesus goes on, and he starts his ministry. That's, that, that's the launching of Jesus' ministry. John is there and he, he lays this thing out, right? Well, then suddenly, this guy comes over to John. And he says, hey, he says, uh, Rabbi, uh, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, you know, the, the one that you testified about, well, um, I don't know if you know this, but he's baptizing. And everyone is coming to him. Have you noticed lately the crowds, they've kind of diminished a little bit? I mean, here you kind of had the the McDonald's, you know, and now he's starting a Burger King. What are you going to do about this? I mean, you, you know. And so John looks at him, and he replies, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I'm not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for for him and and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The lesson from John's life is that he knew his place and when he was put into a position of temptation, I mean, come think about it. I mean, here's John. He's serving God, right? He takes on this role, and he has to live out in the desert. And his clothes are horrible, and he probably was smelly. And it's just not, you know, not a really good life if if you're looking for callings. But at least he was the man in town, okay? I mean, there was a price to be paid for fame. He was paying the price, but at least he was famous. People were coming out to them. They they wanted to hear him. And now suddenly Jesus is taking all this. But John understood that in life there's constantly these things that compete with Jesus. And you were continually put into this position to have to say, what am I going to do? Am I going to put Jesus down and elevate myself? Or am I going to take on the role of a slave? I'm, am I going to be the servant who lifts up Christ and who lifts up his cause and lifts up the things that he did? And we're called to be slaves of Christ. Again and again, you hear Paul talk about this term slave. And it just doesn't work for us today because none of us really know any slaves. We just we don't understand that, And we don't understand what it would have meant to be in this kind of a society. But everybody was always trying to climb up. You're trying to climb up the ladder. And we can identify with that to some degree. We have some of this. But you think about the status symbols and the positions and, and what you wore. I mean, the, the higher rank you went in the Roman Senate, you, there was only certain people who could wear the toga. And you would, even on a cold day, you would wear the toga because that was a sign of your elevation. All right? There were Aquarians. They were men who were wealthy enough to own a horse. We get our word equestrian from them. And all down the line. But the, the lowest people were the slaves. And they really had hardly, even then they had some ways to kind of as a slave you could elevate and maybe if somebody blessed you, you could try to get your freedom. But for the most part, your greatest hope was to, to invest in your master. And then your master could bless you. And your desire was for your master. And the more most loyal slaves were the ones who when their master would die, then they would die. Because they lived for their master, their master's desires. And you see, that's the picture that we are to allow all of the things that we wanted to do in this life and everything else, and it's supposed to kind of just begin to fade away until there's really nothing but, but Christ. And we may end up having some things, but it's, it's all his at the end of the day. He is the one that's elevated. We become a slave of Christ, you know, are you the slave or are you the master? Who are you? Like here on a microcosm level, let's just think about this. When you're sitting right now, did you come here today to be served? Have you been visiting LifePoint for a while, or, or are you a slave? You do you serve others here? Do you help to do setup? Do you help to are you ushering? Are you greeting? Are you doing those things? you being served as a master or are you serving? Now, I, I could try to say that they are in the role of a slave, but really that kind of stuff is just the very, it's like the entry point onto this path. To really be a slave at this time of year is to say, what's going on with my neighbors, the people I work with? Is somebody, did somebody go through a divorce this year? Did somebody, uh, are they suffering right now because of the loss of a child? Have they lost their job? Has something happened to them to cause them to experience great pain or depression or financial hardship? Who is it? Put their needs above your own. I mean, at this time of the season when, when the spotlight is on their pain because everybody else is experiencing this joy and they're suffering in this loneliness, become their slave. Become their servant. Put their needs above your own. And when you do that, you start to learn the lesson. I mean, let's just say it. He must become greater, I must become less. Just one time, let's say it together. He must become greater, I must become less. That's the call on our life. All right, finally, John, because he is such a fiery preacher, because he he likes to call a spade a spade, he got himself into trouble. Because Herod had taken his brother's wife, who had gone through a divorce, and, and now Herod was married married to Herodias which can you imagine having that I mean you know Herod and Herodias that's that's great you know the power couple of the, of the century and so John points this out and Herodias is not very happy and so she says Herod I want this guy killed but Herod's like I- I'd like him killed too but I'm a politician and he's very very popular and it's not good to be killing the popular guys so she Puts him into prison. And so there is John, and he's languishing in prison. <coughs> Weeks become months, and he continues in this prison. And then suddenly John wakes up one morning. He gathers his disciples who, who could tend on him occasionally. And he says, um, I want you to go and talk to Jesus. And so he goes out there, and uh, he says, go to Jesus and ask this, this question. Are you the one who, has, who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Do you understand what, what John's saying there? What, what his question is? He said, Amen. Well, I are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Or is there somebody else who's going to end up coming along eventually? And so when Jesus hears this, he replies and he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. I mean, this is John the Baptist here. He received revelation from God. He baptized Jesus, saw a dove come down out of heaven, heard a voice say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What more does he need? And Jesus said, hey, all, all those things that Jesus just said to him, those were all prophecies that the Messiah was to be fulfilled. They're from Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. And so Jesus' response is, hey, John, you know. You know the prophecies of the Messiah. You know that these are the things that are happening. But what really is John's struggle here? You see, for John and for all of the Old Testament prophets, it was almost like they were given these visions of the future, but they didn't have a bird's-eye view of the future. Instead, they had it through like a spyglass on a level playing field, okay? And so what they didn't realize at the time was that the Messiah was going to do these two things. He was going to become, with, with life and with grace and with mercy and with salvation, he was going to be calling people to himself. And then he was also going to bring a day of judgment. And they saw it all as the same day, that when the Messiah would come, all this would happen like that. And Jesus says, no, that's not quite the way it's going to happen. I'm coming this first time and I'm drawing people to myself. I'll come another time on the clouds, with a white horse with fire coming out of my my mouth and a sword by my side. It'll be the harvest time at that point, but this is the planting time. But John couldn't see that. And all he knows is that he's been doing everything that God told him to do, and yet he's still sitting in this dark, dank prison. And so the lesson is that we must not fall away. You can't fall away because there's just going to be times that that you're going to go through hard times. I mean, isn't that funny what Jesus says here? Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of what? Me. Isn't that kind of a funny statement? Isn't Jesus the one that we're drawn to? And he says, oh, it's good if you don't fall away because of me. What's he saying there? I, I think I know what he's saying. One of my favorite passages from Jesus. I love this one. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Don't you love that passage? Isn't that great? said, Jesus says, I have come that you can have not life, not just life, but have it to the full, that you can go and chase your dreams, that you can experience the things that God has for you because he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And I've got dreams. You know, I, I want, I'd like to eventually, you know, be able to save some money and be able to have more opportunities and freedoms to do things with my family. I would love to spend my life being creative. I want to invest in my kids. I want to, I mean, God has, has created this entire world, and, and I want to step into it and enjoy it. I want to live life to its fullest. I'm not talking about something that's wrong. I'm talking about the exact things that God has called us to do. And my hunch is that you've gathered here this morning because of that call and that message because Jesus says that he's here there for that life experience it to the fullest but then he turns around and then he says these "says then a teacher of the law came to him and said teacher i will follow you wherever you go i'm right with you jesus i'll follow you wherever you go and jesus replied the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head i hate that passage Because what Jesus is saying is he says, look around. Look at all the little creatures around here. They got a little nest over here. fox has a hole. They've all got a home here in this world. But not so the Son of Man. And if you want to follow me, then you are not going to have a home here. You may have a house. You may have some things. But you can't ever set up camp. You can't ever live for this life, for this day. Because this world, this is a broken world we live in. This is a world that's full of decay and full of sin and full of everything else. And so if you try to say, you know what, I want to live to follow God's principles for my body. I want to have a good, healthy body, and I'm going to use oil of Olay and all those other things. But what's eventually going to happen to your body? If you perfect, if you have all the right vitamins and everything, what's going to happen to your body? Yeah, it's going to decay. It's going to grow old. You're going to get back aches when you don't even do anything. You just roll out of bed. You've got a backache or your house, or your car, or your job. None of those things have anything that can last in them. And so you live this life always with, with a, a suitcase that's kind of packed, sitting in your closet, with an understanding that at any moment, you need to be able to pick up. At any moment, you need to be ready to, to let it all go by the wayside, to be able to chase God wherever he's going to lead you, because your ultimate home is in another place. You know how things ended for John? Herodias, she wanted, she wanted him dead, and there's just no way around it. But Herodias had a very beautiful daughter to be his stepdaughter. Had a big party, and so she goes out, and she's dancing. And I don't know what kind of dancing she did at this party, but it was enough that, that Herod said, I will give you anything you ask for up to half of my kingdom. So she goes to mom and says, Mom, what should I ask for? And mom's ready for this one. I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And that's exactly what she got there in front of all those guests. And that was the end of John the Baptist. or really it was the beginning of everything that, that God had stored up for him. Because John had fulfilled his purpose. John did what he was called to do. He stepped in and he went through hard times, difficult times. Elevated Christ, lowered himself, fought through the doubts, continued to pray, fought the good fight, and he finished the race. May that be said of all of us. Heavenly Father, we are are so thankful that you have given us examples, like John the Baptist, that when we come in here and we, we read your word, and we hear these promises and we can get so excited about certain promises and certain things but you you give us the full gamut the full truth and you allow us to go through times of trial and testing so that we can fully experience what it is that you're calling us to the purpose and plans that you have laid out the things that we are to step into And it's also clear to us, Heavenly Father, that some of us have different roles. And sometimes we look at somebody else's role and we go, oh, I wish I had that role. Foolishly, because we don't even know what that role really entails. We don't know what that person's going through. Yet we arrogantly think that we know and that theirs is better, theirs is higher. Lord, in these moments, quiet our spirit and remind us of who you are and who we are in your sight. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.